Good morning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Hear the word of the Lord. Thank you, Fred. Jeremy and company, thank you very much for the worship this morning. Guys, we've been very blessed by that. That last song we sang, uh, I just love that song. And uh, yeah, praise the one, risen sun. Jeremy, I also know what you mean by things are changing. You know, there's a, or you know, that things are in motion. Kids are about to go back to school. I'm glad that most of the teens aren't here this morning, actually. They're, they're on Sombrio Beach right now having a blast. Um, they hiked yesterday on the Juan de Fuca Trail, and uh, I know they must be having a good time. Um, but yeah, school's coming. Who's going back to school soon? Raise your hands. Joanna, who else? Raise them up. Come on, guys. Who's going back to school? Yeah, so guys, pray for these guys, okay? Uh, young and old, we are, we're heading back, many of us. Um, and that can be tough. Our own boys, Kate and I, uh, our, our own boys are up in Ladysmith right now at my dad's place, so I'm also glad they're not here. But I know that Matthew, he's starting kindergarten, and he's very excited, actually, uh, to be heading to school. So that's really cool. And about a month ago, Kate and I took the boys back to school shopping. Now that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Matthew was excited to go. He had his list of things that he needed. And so we went to Walmart, 
And uh, if you've been to Walmart, they have about two or three aisles that are designated for back to school. You'll notice it's all the way over on one side of the store. They're kind of getting all the crazies over there and away from the rest of the store. Because Kate and I, we got there and we had our kids in tow and we had our lists and we went around the corner into the aisle and lo and behold, there were a lot of other parents there with their kids and their lists. And I have to tell you, there was an air of competition in the building. And it was actually a bit of a battle. Uh, I'd have to say, um, to get to the stuff that we needed to get to, right? I mean, there were other people there. There was one woman, she had a buggy, and it was more of a battering ram. She wasn't afraid <laughs> to use that in any way possible that she needed to to get where she needed to go with her kids who were not happy to be there um, to get to the things that she needed. And so that was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, that was a battle in itself. And then we had to go down to the parking lot, and we had to drive in the Walmart parking lot during back-to-school shopping, which, as far as I'm concerned, is just training and preparation for Christmas shopping, which is coming in a few months, okay? And so that was exciting, too. And if you're like me, sometimes you get in your car, and you put your seatbelt on, and you turn on the ignition, and every other car around you becomes competition, right? And I was like, you know what, I'm getting where I need to go, get out of my way, I'm going to do what I need possible to do that. That's my sin, the Lord is working with me, and uh, we're, we're getting there. But it is a battle, and sometimes life feels like that. Life feels like a bit of a battle, doesn't it? And some of us, we're okay with that. Some of us, we're very good with battle. We can deal with that. Many of us, um, athletes especially, you're used to this, aren't you? Athletes, you know, we have one team versus another team, and here we're meeting at the battle line. There will be a winner. There will be a loser. And most of the time, hopefully it's in good sportsmanship and there's a you know, healthy competition. Other times, it's not anything like that. There is rivalry between the two teams. Sometimes there's rivalry between different members of opposing teams. And it's not that nice. And it's kind of ugly. And I was thinking to myself, um, I'm thinking sort of people my age, do you guys remember the No Fear t-shirts that came out like 10 years ago, sort of 99, maybe around there? Um, those No Fear t-shirts, they had these really bold slogans like, fear is in the eye of the beholder. Make sure that you're not the eye or something like that. Like something that says you're the one that's going to cause people to fear, but not you. No fear, right? And the one that I always remember the most is this. Second place is the first loser. No fear. Ooh. Now, I remember reading that, and I remember thinking, ouch. Because when I was a kid, I did track and field, and I was always like 7th or 8th or ninth or 10th. And I'm thinking, if, first, if second place is the first loser, what did that make me back then? Because they didn't even hand out ribbons after third place back then. It was just, you're done, okay? So kids, if you're in competition, don't worry. It's not really like that, but that's how it feels sometimes. Life feels like a battle. Sometimes you're, you're chatting with someone and you're thinking, why is it so hard? Why is life so much like a battle? I don't get it. Not too long ago, I had the opportunity to do something really cool. I had the opportunity to bring the Word of God and preach the Word of God basically in a place that it was not welcome, and as far as I can tell, it was not really received all that well. But I had permission to speak the Word of God in a secular place, and that was actually really cool. I had a really good time. It was quite exciting. And during the moment, I didn't think about what was really going on. But the next morning, I woke up, and I felt like I had been run over by a steamroller. I just felt terrible. And I was like, what is going on? And then I realized something. Oh, right. There is a spiritual realm around us, isn't there? And when I was preaching that word of God in that secular place, 
I was doing spiritual battle. The word of God was being, in a, was being preached in a place where it was not welcomed, and it was not going to be well received. That is called spiritual battle. Now, you don't have to be a minister to engage in spiritual battle. In fact, if you are a Christian, then congratulations, you have signed up for spiritual battle. Did you know that? You have. And we need to remember that when we're in this world, there's something else going on besides what we can just see and what we can feel and what we can hear. There's more going on in the background. And as Christians, we need to be ready for that. God is working in us. He's working in us to make us holy and to make us perfect. I think it's going to take, in fact, I'm pretty sure it's going to take all of our lives to get there. If someone says that they're perfect and holy, take it with a bit of a grain of salt. But God is working in us to make us perfect and to make us holy. And because of that, the enemy, the devil, is also going to work at us to not make us perfect and to not make us holy. In fact, what he wants to do is get in the way between us and God. And how do we become separated from God? How do we become separated from God? Through sin. And so the enemy is working to try and bring sin into our lives to separate us from God. Now, the poor devil, he doesn't need to take all the credit. Sometimes we're very capable of doing that ourselves. But the fact is we are in a spiritual battle. It happens every day. So how do we protect ourselves from the enemy? Paul addresses this topic in a letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus when he was in prison in Rome. In this letter to Ephesus, he talks about a few different things, including the fact that God has reconciled man through, to him through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the good news. That is awesome. That should always excite us. God has reconciled man to him through his son, Jesus Christ. The other thing that Paul goes on to talk about is that God has reconciled men, both Jew and Gentile, to each other. You remember a few weeks back at the polo fields? Actually, like the beginning of the summer. Where did that go? When, when uh, Mike Nienheis was preaching, he talked about how the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, there were these sort of battles going on, and it was really hard for them to get along. But Paul writes that God has reconciled men to each other. And he's done something even better than that. He has taken those men and women, and he has formed the church. He has made the church. This is exciting because the church is the bride of Christ. God loves the church. He really, really loves the church, and this is important that we have come together and that we can be this body, this body of Christ. Christ is the head and we are the body. He goes on to talk about the importance of corporate unity. This is really important. And all the while that he's writing in his book of Ephesus, he keeps, he keeps talking about the spiritual realm. He keeps talking about the spiritual realm. Now, as he's writing this, and as he begins to finish up his letter, he begins to talk about the fact that as Christians... We need to be strong together corporately, but we also need to be strong in the way that we are in a spiritual battle and that there is this, this spirit realm that is going to work against us and we need to be strong in Christ in order to stand up against the plans of the enemies. And so as he writes this, you get the sense that here he is, Paul sitting in his cell, okay, and he probably has lots of time on his hands. There's probably not much to do. And so I can imagine Paul sitting in his cell and as he's sitting there, he's thinking on the word of God to encourage him. And perhaps, perhaps Paul has just thought back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5. And there he thinks to himself, or he remembers the scripture, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. 
When Isaiah wrote these words, he was talking about the Messiah. He was prophesying about the Messiah. And so Paul perhaps is remembering this. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And then perhaps as Paul is sitting there, he thinks on Isaiah 59 verse 17. It says, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. It is possible that Paul was thinking on these things as he's writing the end of his letter. And all of a sudden, he comes up with just the most amazing illustration to explain what a Christian needs in order to stand strong against the plans of the enemy. Open your Bibles, if you have them, to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. If you have those black Bibles in your chairs, it's page 1,228, page 1228. Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 20. I actually want to start in verse 13. Let's read what Paul writes here. Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Paul is reminding the church here, guys, remember, our battle, it's not with each other, it's not with others. In the end, Our battle is against the spiritual forces, okay? We need to remember this in our own daily lives. Think about the times you've had trouble with your neighbor. Maybe your neighbor's throwing some of his junk in your backyard, right? And you get upset and there's there's tensions between you and your neighbor. It's important to stop once in a while and think, what is happening spiritually right now? What's happening spiritually? Am I entertaining all sorts of terrible thoughts about my neighbor? Am I working up schemes of revenge against my neighbor? Am I able to bless and release and forgive my neighbor and talk to him and try and resolve this? There's nothing wrong with anger. Anger is an emotion that God gives us, but what do we do with that? What's happening spiritually? Or perhaps, have you ever had to deal with an insurance agent and they don't believe your story? They don't believe what the doctor's saying? Man, you get angry. You get upset. This is bad news. This is bad stuff. But stop and think for a moment. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Is my battle really against this? Well, in some ways, perhaps. But what's happening spiritually at this moment? What is going on in your life right now? What is the enemy working against in your life? We can see this in all sorts of different scenarios. Spouses having trouble with one another, um, having trouble with our kids, even in our own church. There are times we get so wrapped up about things in our own church life. I don't know if this has ever happened at Shelburne Street, but have you ever had to try and agree on the color of a carpet? Man, churches have like blown up because of things like this. And why is it? We get so wrapped up about so many little things sometimes, we need to stop for a moment and say, whoa, 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 what's happening spiritually here? What are we missing out on while we argue about these little things? At the same time, We need to be careful that not everywhere we look, we see demons hiding around the corner working against us. Again, we're very well capable of sabotaging ourselves sometimes spiritually. But Paul writes these words to remind us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Let's go back to verse 10 for a moment. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then in verse 12, what we just talked about for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And then in verse 13, he repeats himself. 
This is worth mentioning because if something is repeated in the Bible, it's probably worth paying attention to. Paul says again, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that everything, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith from which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is fantastic stuff. Don't you love this? No wonder ministers love to preach on this passage. Ministers love illustration. We love to use illustration when we preach. And this is full of such wonderful illustration. But oftentimes, what can happen when we read this passage is we begin to focus more on the armor and what it can do than we actually focus on the words that Paul is using. Instead of thinking about truth, we start thinking about how truth is a belt. It doesn't really matter how truth is a belt. In his book, Paul's Letters from Prison, theologian G.B. Caird says in his commentary of Ephesians, this list of weapons is a sustained metaphor, not an allegory. We need not look for subtle reasons why truth should be identified with the soldier's belt or righteousness with his coat of mail. The temptation for us is we look at this passage and we do focus on truth. Truth is like a belt because truth holds up the trousers of sincerity and goodness. No, that's not right. No. See, we start reading just a little bit too hard into this and we start skipping over the actual words that Paul's using. Truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, Salvation, faithfulness, the word of God. Paul's main point is this. This is the catchphrase of the day, guys. In order to be strong, you've got to put the armor on. Isn't that deliciously catchy? In order to be strong, you've got to put the armor on. But what does that really mean? What does it really mean to put on the armor of God? Is it so simple? Do we just throw it on every morning? What does it really mean? How do you put on your clothes? What's involved with that? I'm not trying to be creepy. But what happens in the morning? When you wake up in the morning, you're not dressed. I didn't come wake up in the morning dressed in jeans and a shirt ready to go. But what happens in the morning when you have to put on your clothes? You have to make a decision to do something. There is action involved. And you have to put this on yourself. For some of us, perhaps, someone helps us. We help our, our little kids when they need to be dressed. Stripes and the polka dots don't really go together. We're going to help with that. We're going to help them get dressed. Perhaps if you're older, sometimes you need help when you're getting dressed. So that's important to remember, that it's something that we are choosing to do, something that we are taking action to do. We are putting this on, and sometimes we're being helped. This is putting a, being put on for us. But if we want to wear truth and righteousness, we're going to need to live it. A Christian's life is a righteous life. That is to say, as Christians, our lives are being lived in a way that is in agreement, in agreement with God's standards that we have come to know through the Word of God. To put on truth and righteousness means that not only are we recognizing and professing what Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection, but that we are living both outwardly and inwardly a life that not only reflects this, but embodies the teachings of Christ. What do I mean by outwardly and inwardly? Have you ever heard that, uh, that saying, our character is what we do when we think no one is looking? 
You ever heard that saying before? Our character, our true character, is what we do when we think no one is looking. In order to have truth and righteousness, we need to live this in a way that is not just putting this on on Sunday mornings, not just putting it on when we're around other people, but also in the quiet moments when we're by ourselves. What is our life looking like then? What are we doing that's reflecting and embodying the words of Christ? This is what it means to wear truth and righteousness. Perhaps this is what Paul describes in Colossians, a life worthy of the Lord that pleases him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. These are just the first two pieces of armor, but Paul goes on. He talks about feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Paul actually says feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We must come to realize what the gospel, the good news of Christ, means to us personally in order to stand secure upon it. It's the only way to wear this armor. Jesus has done what it takes to save us from the power of sin and death. Secure in that knowledge, we are given the best place to stand. It is a sure foothold. When we stand on the gospel of peace, we are standing on the rock, and that rock is Jesus Christ. Standing in his power and glory prepares us for whatever we find ourselves up against. And the more secure we are in standing in Christ, the more our faith in him will grow, because let's face it, we tend to trust and have faith in people that we know well, don't we? We don't tend to trust as much and put as much faith in someone we have just met. It takes relationship for that to happen. This faith and trust gives us the protection we need from the evil one. This brings us to the shield of faith. I love the shield of faith. To put on faith, one must constantly keep close to Jesus and to hear his words. The more we stay close to Jesus, the more we get into the word of God, the more we spend time in our prayer life, the more we are going to know the voice of Jesus. This is so important because there are thousands of voices out there that are clamoring for your attention. They want your attention. And I have to tell you, the only voice you need to worry about is the voice of Jesus Christ. That's the voice we need to pay attention to. And when the enemy attacks, it's important that we remember the words of Jesus and what he said. Why is this? What are the first four words that we ever hear the enemy say? Go back to the book of Genesis. What are the first four words we ever hear the enemy say? Does anybody know? What? Did God really say? Those are the first four words we ever hear the enemy say in the Bible. Did God really say? We need to know the words of Jesus because the enemy will come and attack that. He will cause us to doubt the word of God. One of the best illustrations I have on this that I, that I can think of is in C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair. Has anybody read The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis? It's a fantastic book. It's out of the Narnia series. Okay, and so in the book of The Silver Chair, there's two children. There's Eustace and Jill, and they have met up with Puddleglum, who is a marsh wiggle. Just stay with me here. Okay. <laughs> and they have been tasked with finding the lost prince who has been taken by a wicked witch. Through a series of adventures, they find themselves in the Underland, the underworld. They find themselves literally under the world and in this kingdom that the witch has made. And finally, they come face to face with the witch. 
And the witch decides to put them in a trance. So she lights this funky little fire and she's playing her mandolin and kind of, you know, setting the mood. And she starts causing them to doubt everything that they believe in. So they start to tell her, she says, well, Overland doesn't even really exist. Explain it to me. What is Overland? And so they try and tell her about the sun. Well, there's this beautiful sun. And she says, there's no such thing as the sun. Really, all you're talking about is a lamp that's right next to you there. That's what the sun really is. You're just making a copy up. You're just, you're just trying to make something up that, that isn't really real, but is a copy of what the real thing is. So that there's no sun, just the lamp. Tell me some more about Narnia. What else can you tell me about the overworld? And so they try and tell her about, uh, about Aslan. Aslan is C.S. Lewis's allegorical figure of Jesus. Okay? So they try and tell her about Aslan. Well, there's Aslan. We can't forget Aslan. Oh, well, tell me about Aslan. Who's Aslan? Well, Aslan's this great lion. Are you sure? Are you sure you're not just thinking of a cat? There is no such thing as a lion. There's no such thing as overland. But there is such a thing as a cat. And so really what you're doing is you're just trying to copy this again. You're just little children making up a game. Finally, Puddleglum takes a stand and he kicks the fire, okay? And he messes it all up and he disrupts the, 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 the witch and he says, suppose we have only dreamed or made up all those things, trees and grass and sun and moon and stars and Aslan himself. Suppose we have. Then all I can say is that in that case, the made up things seem a good deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world well, it strikes me as a pretty poor one. And that's a funny thing when you come to think of it. We're just babies making up a game, if you're right. But four babies playing a game can make a play world which licks your real world hollow. That's why I'm going to stand by the play world. I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan, to lead it. I'm going to live as like a Narnian as I can, even if there isn't any Narnia. So thanking you kindly for, one, for our supper, if these two gentlemen and the young lady are ready, we're leaving your court at once and sitting out in the dark to spend our lives looking for overland. Not that our lives will be very long, I should think, but that's a small loss if the world's as dull a place as you say. I want faith like that. I want faith like that. Faith needs to be big and strong. Have you ever seen a Roman shield? What Paul's talking about is something that almost covers your entire body. It is big. It is strong. And it will deflect the flaming arrows of the evil one. Faith gives us the strength to follow Jesus through the dark places in our lives where we don't understand, where we feel the anger and the pain. Faith allows us to even say, God, I don't even like you very much right now, but I will follow you. I will not let go. I will stay with you. We follow Christ faithfully because of his most wonderful gift to us, the gift of salvation. Concerning salvation, look at what Paul says earlier in his letter to Ephesus. Ephesians 2, chapter 4, verse 5, sorry, 2, verses 4, verse 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. It's important to remember that when we talk about putting on the armor of God, that really this is something that is put on you. A soldier doesn't dress himself. His armor bearer gives him what he needs to put on. We have been given this wonderful gift of salvation. God has come to us and said, here, take this. 
receive this salvation by grace. You're going to need this in order to get by. Praise God. In faith, we trust in the one who grants us salvation, and we look forward to the promise of eternal life. Now bear with me. I'm wrapping up here. Concerning the armor of God, everything that Paul has been speaking speaking to us about up till now has been defensive, but finally he comes to the offensive, the weapon of choice that every Christian needs at their disposal, the Word of God. Let me tell you something about the Word of God. It is everywhere. The Word of God is everywhere. Look at this quote that I found from the New York Times back in December of last year. It was from an article called The Book of Books, What Literature Owes the Bible. And the author starts by saying, The Bible is the model for and subject of more art and thought than those of us who live within its influence, consciously or unconsciously, will ever know. The Bible is everywhere. So much of our everyday sayings, they come from the Bible. You can't get away from it. It's quoted and misquoted, actually, time and time again. Here are just some of the sayings that we've picked up from the Bible. Drop in the bucket. Powers that be. A leopard cannot change its spots. Pride comes before a fall. Bite the dust. The blind leading the blind. And my favorite, money is the root of all evil. That's a misquote, actually. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. Sorry, Pink Floyd. Anyways. They had a song with that. Anyways, nobody... Think about, think about why do people curse the name of Jesus and not the name of Buddha? Fred, we were just talking about this the other day. Why do they curse the name of Jesus and not the name of Buddha? What is going on here? Why is this? Could it possibly be that there's never been anything like it? Could it possibly be that the Word of God, the Bible, is not just a dusty old book? Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God cuts through unbelief and it can pierce the hardest heart. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil, it was the Word of God that cut through his lies and it still cuts through his lies just as much today. Why? Because it is the living word of God. Now, don't get superstitious about it. The Bible is made up of cardboard and paper. We don't give too much reverence just to that. It's the words inside that really, really matter. It is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And just like our relationship with Christ, we need to spend time with the Word of God to really get to know it. If this is our weapon, if this is our sword, we need to train, right? We need to learn how to use this thing. Otherwise, what good will it be? To use this weapon, you have to train with it. This is one of the biggest challenges for both new Christians and even Christians that have been following Christ for a long time. Sometimes we just don't know. We get intimidated by the Bible. It's got weird names in it. It's, it's got weird places in it. It doesn't make sense. But there are lots of resources to help with that. There's a wonderful book called Reading the Bible for All It's Worth. It's one of the first books Martin told me to get. 
when I first took this position as associate minister. He said, here's the book, read the Bible for all it's worth, how to read the Bible for all it's worth, check it out. It is a fantastic book. I don't know if we have that one in our library. Don't think so, maybe. Glynis will look into that. I'll look into it, Glynis. Um, but I have a copy in my office. If you ever want to borrow it, let me know. It is fantastic. Who has Version Bible on their iPhone? Anyone? Okay. Version has been amazing for me. It has a daily verse. Anybody here follow the daily verse? Awesome. Are you memorizing it? I want to encourage and challenge you to memorize the daily verse. I've been trying to memorize the daily verse since early July. I'm not trying to brag here. I'm boasting in Jesus Christ. He has helped me to memorize up to 80 verses so far. Every morning, I go through them. I don't recite them all, but every morning, I go through each verse that I learned, and the ones that I'm still learning, I begin to recite. Don't ask me what the one today is. I'm still not, I haven't learned it yet. But I'm working to do so, and it is a fantastic resource. It's great just to learn these snippets. You have no idea how many times in the last couple of months one of those verses has popped up in my head when it comes to a certain situation. If we use and learn the word of God, God will be faithful. He will bring it to our minds. He will bring it to our hearts. And he will help us to apply it to the world that we live in today. And he will help us to apply it into what's happening spiritually around us as we battle. In order to be strong... You've got to what? You've got to put the armor on. Now, you are not alone in this. Our God is a giving God. And like I said before, sometimes we dress ourselves. Other times, someone helps us. In this case, I believe if we faithfully ask God for help in this, he will give this armor to us and he will help us to wear it. He will show us what is involved in wearing it. And I do believe it comes through action. It comes through living these words that Paul is talking about. Truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, faithfulness, salvation, and the word of God. I want to encourage you to pray. In your bulletin today, there's a little insert that Monique made up. And it's got all the pieces of the armor on there. It's got a little catchphrase at the bottom. That's not nearly as important. But I want to encourage you this week to take that home with you and to look over that and ask God in your prayer time to show you, God, what's missing from my arsenal? What, what piece of armor am I possibly missing this week? Or perhaps the last few weeks, or perhaps I've never had on. What can you help me, Lord, to build up, to put on, so that I can stand strong? And I want to encourage you to pray. Paul ends his letter by saying, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Don't ever say all we can do is pray. Prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do. And I really believe, I know that God honors that and he will hear that and he will respond to that. And so this week, I encourage you, take that insert, look over it. What piece has been missing? Ask God to reveal it to you and ask him to show you, how can I put this on, Lord? How can I do this? As we battle, we will change the spiritual environment around us. I've preached on this before. I know it sounds a little kooky, but I really believe that this has been happening in the last couple of years here at Shelburne Street. And I am excited for what is coming. In just a few weeks, Travis and Nicole will be here. 
I'm so excited for that. Not because of what they can do. I believe they can do all sorts of things, but I believe God wants to use them and God wants to use us to do all sorts of awesome and wonderful things. In a couple weeks, I'm going to be preaching again, and we're going to be looking at all the things we've talked about this last summer. A lot of it's been action-oriented. What is God gearing up for us? What has he got for us? Let's pray about that. Let's ask God to bless Travis and Nicole as they come to be a part of that and, and, and to, to be used, to be willing to be used by God in any way that is needed. And may we do the same. And so let's put on this armor. Let's put on this armor so that we can be ready to be used however God wants us to be used, but in a way that we know we can fight and we can fight properly, prayerfully, by his grace and for his glory. I was really struck with those lines from that song, in my life, be lifted high. In our world, be lifted high. In our love, be lifted high. Let's get dressed up for that. Let's sing that strong, and let's stand for Lord, for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Bless you guys.